Friday. Stay tuned for Radio Gag, uh, Gays Against Guns. Coming up, it is now 6.30. Stay tuned. Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Good, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Trisha Cook. I'm Sarah Lilly. And I'm Ty Kersley. Uh, this week, we will be discussing guns and suicide, uh, a subject close to all three of us. Uh, in the United States, more people take their lives with a gun than by all other methods combined. Suicide is a major public health crisis in our nation. Uh, on this show, we'll hear from Kathy Barber, uh, creator of Means Matter, and Jennifer uh, Michael Hecht, author of the book Stay, A History of Suicide and the Arguments Against It. We'll also talk about gun suicides in both the military and the police force. Before we begin, we have some current gun news, and we'll take a few moments to honor someone who's lost a life uh, to gun violence. Major gun control measures are scheduled for a vote in both houses of the New York State Legislature this week. The legislation includes enabling New Yorkers to seek a court order to keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people, banning bump stocks, prohibiting teachers from being armed in schools, providing funding for gun buyback programs, and extending the period for completing background checks. A poll released earlier this week found that 64% of New Yorkers, New York voters, support stricter gun laws, and that 84% of New Yorkers back the red flag bill, a bill which authorizes teachers, police officers, or a person's family member to petition a court to have an individual's access to guns temporarily suspended if it's decided they're at risk of harming themselves or others. Also, we have five people were killed Saturday morning in two linked shootings, and this is in Louisiana. <clears throat> a, gunman is a, a gunman was suspected of shooting and killing Summer Ernest, uh, age 20, whom authorities described as his girlfriend, as well as her father, Billy Ernest, 43, and her brother, Tanner Ernest, 17. Uh, this was at their mobile home in Livingston Parish. Two children, both under the age of eight, were home at the time of the shooting but were not injured. The gunman then stole their truck and drove to his parents' trailer where he fatally shot both his mother and father. This is just now more depressingly reliable um, that current events will always include some sort of multiple shooting. Um, let's uh, turn back now to this week's In Memoriam. Twenty-two veterans die by suicide every day, almost one every hour. And on December 10th, 2018, Retired Marine Colonel Jim Turner joined the ranks of that statistic. James Flynn Turner was born in Baltimore, Maryland, and attended St. Paul's High School. After graduating, he enrolled in the University of Charleston, and then later joined the United States Marine Corps, where he flew F-18s and took part in the invasion in Iraq in 2003. For the last decade of his career, which, according to family, he reveled in, he worked at U.S. Central Command at MacDill Air Force Base. Upon retirement, he began to lose his sense of purpose and became more troubled. Jennifer Turner, his ex-wife, reported that he would wake up screaming from nightmares during the final chapter of their marriage. Turner, 55, took his life a few years after he and his wife were separated. 
He did so outside the Bay Pines Department of Veteran Affairs Complex, which is located in Florida. Sporting his dress uniform and medals, Turner shot himself with a rifle while sitting on top of his military records. In a suicide note, which he left behind, he blasted Veteran Affairs for its failure to help him. I bet if you look at the 22 suicides a day, you will see VA screwed up at 90%, he wrote. I did 20 plus years, had PTSD, and still had to pay over $1,000 a month in health care. A government accountability report released in late December, approximately a week after Turner's suicide, revealed that suicide prevention efforts by the Department of Veterans Affairs had fallen off over the past two years. The report blamed departures in key posts within the organization for the lack of leadership on suicide prevention. Many principal members of the staff resigned in reaction to President Trump's political appointees, including Dr. Caitlin Thompson, the director of the Suicide Prevention Office, who departed in July of 2017. After Thompson exited her post, Veterans Affairs began to neglect what is supposed to be its top clinical priority, curbing the number of veterans who take their own life. According to the New York Times, the Suicide Prevention Office spent only 57000 of its $6.2 million media budget after its director left. The office stopped airing public service announcements urging veterans with suicidal thoughts to seek help, and its social media arm began to post less and less frequently. While the revolving door that is Trump's government has become the new status quo, Turner's suicide reminds us that all this bureaucratic bungling is life-threatening. If government agencies are going to function properly, there needs to be a degree of stability. Veterans Affairs has a responsibility to our service members, whether having returned from the war or coping with living in America in today's age. My brother's identity was being a Marine, said his brother, John Turner. Our government is supposed to honor that identity by delivering services to the military. Failed government is failing real people now, every day. And according to the Pentagon, firearms are used in 68% of suicides by active duty service members. Estimates of service members affected by PTSD range from 4 to 20%, according to the report, and the rate of military suicide has more than doubled in the past 15 years. Ty, you served in the Air Force. Can you give us any insight into suicides in the military? Um, well, one of the things that I did was I actually had to teach the annual uh, course called Suicide Prevention. So every, every unit would have a required uh, sit-down uh, course, and I was one of the instructors. And I kind of wish society would talk about things the way that the military has it uh, set up in suicide prevention, regardless of um, what's going on right now. But the, the course itself would touch on key things, and it just really helped you with dealing with a person who was depressed, you know, not to leave them alone, or if somebody was, you know, upset or having a hard time, you don't take them out drinking, and, and you certainly would never say to someone, you're not going to do anything stupid, are you, because this just completely closes off any kind of communication. So it, it taught us how to use the correct words when dealing with someone who is having emotional problems. One of them would be, you have to say the words, you have to use the words and say, uh, have you thought about killing yourself? Are you having thoughts of suicide? or even go further to say, have you thought about how you would do it? Uh, so these are one of the main lessons that we were taught as military personnel. Um, but all of the problems that most of the people have uh, were temporary and could be addressed. Uh, and the problem is that suicide is permanent. So this was something that we would carry on every day 
uh, dealing with people that we would either deploy with or not. Now, the statistics have changed considerably over the years. So, like we said before, we had 22 veterans a day dying of suicide. And when you say veterans, this also is including active duty members, so people who have uh, gone to combat and then back and still are in the military. Um, but the dynamics of who we are focused on has changed as well. Uh, one of the main biggest risks we had was a single young man uh, would be your biggest risk for suicide. That's changed a lot with deployments to married personnel. Um, their, their averages have gone up, and the women of uh, veterans who commit suicide is normal, uh, is, is higher than the normal public's women's suicide rate. Other than PTSD, I mean, a lot of the members in the military are having the same problems as everyone else. Uh, finances, problems with their bills, relationships, uh, also hiding things um, and not wanting to burden other people's other people with their problems. Um, but with quick turnarounds and deployments or individuals who aren't part of a unit long enough when they do deploy with them, their, their suicide rates have gone up higher. Um, but one of the things that's increased is with more people deploying, you have more people that are now armed and they're armed more often. So it kind of leads back to one of our statements, which is, you know, more guns leads to more gun deaths. And obviously with people that are armed longer, um, we're seeing a, a huge increase. Uh, Ty, do you think there's a parallel between the amount of suicide deaths in the military and those in the police force? Um, does being confronted with death and trauma create a stronger environment for potential suicide? Well, I think one of the things that's, that could be more recent is the militarization of uh, the police force in America and how that mentality could uh, have an effect of it. Well, let's listen to Sarah's report on suicides within the police force and uh, get a better sense of that. Policing is a high-risk career, and those who undertake it do so with courage and compassion. Among the highest risks of this occupation are not only criminals with guns, violent domestic disputes, or high-speed car chases, but suicide. Police officers in the U.S. generally have a rate of suicide about 1.5 times higher than the general population. Secrecy and stigma, and the fact that there is no federal database for police suicides, may cause the suicides of police officers to go unreported. But even so, officers are more likely to die of suicide than shootings and traffic accidents combined. A meta-analysis of 16 different scientific studies concluded that having access to a firearm triples one's risk of death by suicide. Former police officer David Lohr, who founded Badge of Life, a nonprofit dedicated to preventing police officer suicides, tells it this way. I found myself suicidal as the result of post-traumatic stress disorder and depression and as a police officer, felt the need to hide my mental health challenges due to the stigma that exists within the culture of law enforcement. There is a code of secrecy around mental illness in police agencies across the nation, a code that is difficult to break through. To illustrate the effects of attempted suicide and post-traumatic stress syndrome on the victim's family, I include the words of a 15-year-old high school student from the Badge of Life website. She is the daughter of a police officer who struggled with PTSD. Unfortunately, the dad I had known my whole life and grew up with started to ebb away, and I haven't seen him since. 
He started to come home and did not get up off the couch. Absorbed in his phone, he barely spoke to us anymore. It was his way of dissociating from the horrors he saw in his job. We knew this, but it didn't make it any less difficult when the family wanted to do something together and he never wanted to participate. It didn't even get bad until his two friends died. They were murdered, and he had to walk over their broken, bleeding bodies, stepping in the blood of men he'd spoken to hours earlier. He stopped talking to my mother, my siblings, myself. We went through a six-month period of not knowing if our family was going to stay together. To my siblings and I, our dad was gone. In over 94% of suicides by New York City police, the officers used a gun. But aren't guns necessary for policing? In the UK, over 90% of police officers don't carry guns. In the years 2015 and 2016, there were 22 and 25 deaths, respectively, of police officers attributed to suicide. Here's a sample of what officers say about their work in the United Kingdom. I've never ever had anyone put a gun at me, I've never been to a shooting, so I've never ever put me to have a barrier. So here is my CS spray, which is an incapacitant spray. Uh, here is my gravity friction lock baton, uh, and these are my rigid handcuffs. I guess it's unusual, but it's always been the way we police, and I guess we've been quite protective of that. I certainly don't feel that I need to be armed. I've never been threatened in 15 years with a firearm. I've used my CS spray twice, and I think I've used my baton twice. Of course it's easier for police to remain unarmed if civilians do the same. Out of every 100 people in Britain, fewer than four of them owns a firearm, according to gunpolicy.org, a project run by Australia's University of Sydney. In the US, there is more than one gun per person. If we manage to control the epidemic of gun violence in the United States, we will be able to save lives. And perhaps we will be able to effectively develop a practice of policing in this country that endeavors to raise the trust of its citizens toward police officers and reduces the devastating stress of their careers and their risk of suicide. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, suicide has become one of our nation's deadliest public health issues. Here to give us a rundown of some of the statistics relating to guns and suicide is our very own powerhouse gag member, Sunny Moon. Hi. My name is Sunny Moon, and I am a member of Gays Against Guns. I'm also a retired physician who used to practice internal medicine, and I trained in New Orleans where there's a lot of gun violence. What I'd like to talk to you about today are some facts about suicide by gun, and, and more particularly, I want to make sure that everybody understands that suicide by guns is a public health crisis, and it's preventable. So let's start with some facts. The last time the CDC reported on gun-related suicides was in 2017. Total gun fatalities were close to 40,000, and about 60% are actually suicides. So suicides make up the vast majority of gun deaths in the United States. But it's not equally distributed. The tragedy of gun violence and suicide is not spread randomly. Study after study have shown that states and areas where there's high gun ownership have much higher rates of gun-related suicide. And the interesting part of this is that suicide rates from other methods is not any different from these states. So there isn't something different in terms of 
people being more depressed, what's different are the people who are successful in killing themselves with guns. Now, a question you might ask is, is there something different about gun owners? Are gun owners more prone to suicide? And again, we have studies that have shown that gun owners are not any more prone to mental illness and they're not any more prone to suicide. And in fact, one study found that gun owners actually reported less suicidal ideation than non-gun owners. However, if they have the thought of committing suicide, they have access to a lethal method and so they're successful. How lethal are guns? Guns are the most lethal method. It's close to 90%. One of the most common myths that I want to address is why do we even bother learning about suicide or talking about suicide in healthcare? Because it's inevitable. If somebody's going to kill themselves, they're just going to do it. If we take away their gun, they're going to find some other way of committing suicide. And that is one of the biggest fallacies that we really, really need to make sure that we address. How do we know that impulsivity is a factor? A lot of times people will tell you after they make an attempt, how long did you think about suicide before you went ahead and did it? And it turns out that um, when you ask people how long they thought about suicide and then actually attempted, 24% said that they had thought about it for less than five minutes, 48% said less than 20 minutes, and 70% said less than an hour. So if somebody is doing something that is a fleeting impulsive act, having a very lethal method makes that fleeting impulse become a permanent, terrible conclusion to something that could have been addressed. Now, the final part of this, why am I talking about this? We have to address it as a public health crisis, and I've just laid out the facts as to how we can make interventions. We need reasonable laws to address a public health issue. And so I wanna talk about some of these laws that actually make a difference. And one law that I want to talk about in particular, it's commonly called a red flag law or ERPO or Extreme Risk Protective Order. And ever since the tragic Parkland shooting, more and more states have passed red flag laws. And that means that if somebody is deemed to be a danger to others or to themselves, there's a legal process in place to remove the guns from that person. And studies have already shown in states that have had ERPO laws, there is a reduction in gun-related suicides. And other laws such as universal background checks open carry laws decrease the accessibility. So just by decreasing the floodgates and there's less access, we can reduce suicide. I, I, I spoke with two different experts on suicide this weekend and they both uh, agreed with Sunny, if we can get guns out of the hands of people, there will be fewer people taking their lives. Uh, I spent the weekend reading Jennifer Michael Heck's excellent book, Stay, A History of Suicide and the Arguments Against It. I thought it was going to be a super bleak weekend, and it turned out to give me hope about the issue. In the book, she talks about the need for people to stick around, uh, primarily because we're a community and we, need and we need each other to survive. During the celebratory moments, the banal moments, and especially when we're suffering, we can't do it without each other. Here's an excerpt from the discussion we had about suicide and the role guns play in it. I'm wondering if you can speak to the public health crisis of suicides being more prevalent if you have a gun in the home. Absolutely. Here's the thing with suicide. It's much more impulsive than we think. We've been taught by the media to imagine it as the sort of somewhat inevitable end to a long struggle with depression. And that's not the case for many, many people. There's a huge aspect of impulsivity, which I 
think we should always be remembering is very often linked to shame. So something terrible happened. You feel terrible that day. And if there's means around, you can die of that bad day. Shame is the worst human emotion, but it doesn't last as long as most of the others. You, you wait out You wait out three days or so, a lot of shame can pass. Here, I, I'll give you a statistic. Just in, in 2012, more members of the military died from suicide than in both wars, Iraq and Afghanistan. A, a full third of them had never been deployed. So it wasn't necessarily the war. We go back and we check, and we found that over 60% had, had a, a major humiliation or major relationship loss, either at work or in their families, within three months. Now, if you have a gun nearby and you're ashamed and you feel like you can't face someone, if you add alcohol to that, it's, that's it. Suicide in the military is such a neglected piece of the suicide epidemic. The In memoriam we have this week, focuses on a retired Marine who took his own life because he wasn't able to get proper treatment for his PTSD. It's, uh, it's just devastating. Um, Jennifer, can you talk a little bit about gender disparities in suicide? So women attempt almost double the amount that men attempt, but don't succeed because we don't have guns. A few years ago, I was thinking if we could get the guns out of people's houses, keep it at your sister's house if you get sad now and again or if you drink too much. If you have to go to one place and ask one person for your stuff or for a second bottle of pills, you get talked out of it a lot of the time. These bridge barriers work because you don't want to go to a bridge where you might not die. So you want to go to a bridge that you've heard about was successful. You get there and there's a fence up or someone there to talk to you or a sign. You don't go to another bridge. What we all really care about on the top level is don't go kill people who don't want to be killed. But if most of the gun killing that's going on in this country is people ending up killing themselves, it might be good to say, you need to lock these up. That can save your life. And she's absolutely right about that. Uh, To speak more on the subject of creating barriers between suicidal person and means in which they could take their life is Kathy Barber, and that's the creator of Means Matter. Today I'm speaking with Kathy Barber, who works at the School of Public Health at Harvard University and created a program called Means Matter. Kathy, I was wondering if you could tell us how the program came to be. Yeah, it came about in the early 2000s because I noticed, and others here at the Injury Research Center noticed, by and large, suicide prevention groups weren't talking about guns, and gun groups weren't talking about suicide. So we created Means Matter to bring the research to the suicide community to let them know why there's a link between gun access and suicide and what they can do about it and and how to think outside the legislative box. And the message is a pretty simple one. If you're worried that somebody you care about might be thinking about suicide, that's the time to say hey, can I hold on to your guns? How about if I hold on to the slide or I'll lock up your guns and I'll hold on to the keys? It'd make me feel better if I could just do that small thing to help you feel safer. 
Why are specifically guns relevant to a general discussion of suicide? I work with lots of different firearm instructors and gun shop owners, and sometimes the questions they get will be, what difference does it make if you reduce access to one method? There's always some other method that you can use. But the thing about guns is that they're kind of a perfect storm when it comes to a suicide method because, you know, it's precisely what we value about guns, that they are so quick and accurate and powerful that makes them particularly dangerous when used in a suicide attempt. And, and if you put a little time or distance between a suicidal person and a gun, either that's going to buy some time, where for some people that's all you need is, is some time. And then the other thing about guns is even if that delay wasn't enough to help them calm down, anything that they would substitute for a gun is going to be less likely right. to kill them, either because the method itself fails or because just about every method other than, other than firearms gives you a chance to change your mind. More people start an attempt and then think better of it and say, oh my God, what am I doing? Then carry through. So you want to give a person that opportunity. Any opportunity we can find to save a life is worth exploring. If you want to learn more about Means Matter, visit their website at meansmatter.org. And here are some other resources that you can use if you or someone you know is struggling. Go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Dial 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-TALK for their helpline. Text MT to 741-741. Go to thetrevorproject.org. That's a great resource for LGBTQ people and youth. And finally, the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill has a great track record dealing with suicide and helping families through this. So we want you to get involved with us. One way to do that is to come to our meetings. We meet here in New York every other Thursday at 7 p.m. in Manhattan at the LGBT Center. Our next meeting is this Thursday, where we will be planning all kinds of great actions and protests like... Um, February 14th, we're going back down to D.C. It is the... Um, same day as the Parkland shooting, and we were in D.C. at the Senate Hart Building while it was happening. So we're going to be back in place representing uh, those lost lives. Another great way to get involved <laughs> is by becoming a WBAI buddy. A WBAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by signing up to give a small donation every month. Go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. If you need to know more about Gays Against Guns, go to gaysagainstguns.net. Um, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and we have chapters uh, nationwide. Uh, but it's time to finish the show, as we do always with some hell yes. We absolutely have to do hell yes to our service members. We support you as you support us. Hell, hell yeah! yeah. Um, hell yeah! yeah. To Jennifer Michael Hecht and Kathy Barber. Hell, Hell yeah. yeah. And to Sunny Moon. I want my Sunny Moon app so she can tell me everything I need to know whenever I need to tell someone about uh, gun stats. So hell yeah to Sunny. <laughs> Hell, Hell yeah. yeah. And hell yeah to all you listeners for sticking around to the end of the show and to borrow from Jennifer, Jennifer Michael Hecht to everyone out there for sticking around each day. We make it through together. Hell yeah.
Thanks for listening. We're back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Let's hear from Sing Out Louise. With your bigots and your gun nuts, every greedy billionaire. God help America through this nightmare. Come on, America. Stand up to hate. Don't divide us. Unite us. You can break us to make us more great. Tell the bigots and the gun nuts, every greedy billionaire. Let's make America more free and fair. God help America through this Next episode of Ecologic, Ken Gale and Donna Stein bring you energy expert Lindsay Arden explaining smart meters, attorney Michelle Lee telling us how environmental groups are fighting Cuomo taking over seven and a half billion dollars from New York families, and we'll have pipeline activists from the recent necessity defense trial. All in the next Ecologic Tuesday, January 29th at 8 p.m. right here on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. You're listening to WBAI. This is Kiani Brea with an announcement about your local station board elections. The election will close on March 5th 2019. To confirm your eligibility to vote or to request a replacement ballot, please email les underscore wbai at pacifica.org or call 412-424-9569. For other important dates and for information about the candidates, please visit wbai.org. This is WBAI.